We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sight's TV podcast. As ever, I'm Kate Kulzik, and I am joined by... Mr. Simon Howell. How's it going, Simon? Not so bad. I just got out of Lars von Trier's Melancholia, so I'm feeling quite spry. Chipper? Chipper, yeah. Chipper is a good word for it. Listening to lots of Wagner. Good times. That's exactly the music for if you're feeling happy, I would say. Tristan totally. and Isolde. It's good stuff. So this is a, going to be a, an interesting podcast for, for listeners in that we I was in Montreal last week, of course, hanging out with all of you Sound On Sight guys. And so we recorded as much of it in person as possible, so people may notice some like sound differences and quality differences from you know some of the reviews as we go along. We're going to try to make it as seamless as possible, but that's what's going on if people are are wondering. Um, but yeah, so it was a so when I asked you how your week was this week, you were there for part of it, so. Yeah, that was that that part was awesome, I must say. Now I'm, I'm now looking for a legitimate excuse to come to Chicago. The pizza, that's enough of a reason as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, fair enough. So, we uh, had a lot of fun last week and I'm really looking forward to all these, you know, plans we've been hatching for the website. Right now we have um Ricky is going to be reviewing once uh once upon a time for us, so that's yet another show and I feel like we have most of the the big shows covered, you know. So I think we're doing pretty good. Yeah, over there. there's there's a, a couple of gaps, but, uh, I mean, who knew? I mean, I would have never guessed that Once Upon a Time would be as insanely popular as it appears to be. So I'm glad that Ricky is foolhardy enough to be covering it on a weekly basis so that I don't have to. Well, and it's one that I've been meaning to catch up with, but with traveling and all the other things that we have going on the site, I haven't been able to yet. So I'm really glad that, because I know we have listeners who are very excited about it. So I'm glad that he's got that covered for us, at least for now, until you know I can do play some catch up. Um, speaking of listeners, we had some comments that came in just just after the finish last week uh, so that we weren't able to talk about them. But on Televerse number eight, Ken, Mario, and T-Mac left some comments. Uh, Ken was saying he doesn't like the geek portrayal in Joan of Arcadia. Um, too stereotypical and not honest enough, but he prefers Troy on Community, Sam on SG-1, and basically all of Next Gen, just because they're all huge geeks. Um, and it's uh, very, a very very positive portrayal. So I think that's cool. Do you think Troy's a, a good geek example? Well, I do think that the brother character on Joan of Arcadia is a little ridiculous at times, uh, possibly all the time. Something I didn't really bring up when we were doing our, our segment. I Troy is almost cheating because he's, a, I mean, Donald Glover is just so cool that you kind of wish that, you know, he's like the geek that you want to be. 
because you're secretly like you're like a, a fairly competent rapper and a comedian as well. Well, and uh, of course Troy is also a jock, so he's that jock nerd hybrid, the Jerds, which is a, a yeah. rare breed, but but fun. You know, I can see what he's saying. Um, then let's see. Mario was very excited about Top Chef, so I will be interested. Mario, uh, leave your thoughts about how this episode went for you. I think you know we're going to talk about it later in the show, but. Definitely, we have opinions about how this season is structured so far. So, then we had from T Mac, he's really digging Homeland, and right now he's watching Dexter because of most stuff, but he's not really liking where it's going. But uh, T Mac wants some recommendations. So, he, he says that he likes shows that push boundaries and offer original concept with edgy points of view. Um, and that he's picky, but we're supposed to beat him upside the head if there's something that he should be watching. So I don't know. That sort of brings to mind a bunch of shows that don't exist anymore. I mean, or at least are on hiatus. Yeah. Um, I mean, that used to be the sort of HBO's specialty, and now that's there's they're sort of not really the 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 go to edgy boundary pushing drama machine they used to be although that's keeping in mind that i haven't been keeping up on boardwalk empire which bored me to tears uh, in the first season i mean you could always just watch deadwood again well and i would say when it comes back probably you could say justified might fit in that category or of course breaking bad i would say absolutely when it comes back justified is is almost it's not i mean justified is, is almost comfort food because it's so entertaining i don't really think of it as being boundary pushing in any sense or pushing buttons. It's really just sort of good old entertainment. Breaking Bad is probably closer, but I'm sure T-Mac is probably already apprised. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, the, the other shows that pop to mind as ones that people who like good, solid drama should be watching are not particularly edgy. You know, I would say Homeland is, but he's already watching that. But The Good Wife, for example, is definitely not edgy, but it's mm. well made. So, you know, it's it's hard to know. Yeah, if you want to show that prides edginess above all else, I mean, which is not exactly a recommendation, watch Boss. <laughs> but but don't complain if you don't like it because you value things that make sense. Well, there when Game of Thrones comes back, that might be another one with Yes. So yeah, maybe there's sure. that. So for now. And then of course luck is gonna be starting up soon and that will probably I have unreasonable hopes for luck. But so so that was what uh, Team Ack was said, and don't worry, we will keep you apprised if we think of something else, Team Ack. So thank you for you guys for your comments, and then on our last podcast, uh, we had a bunch of comments, and thank you guys. It's always it's so great to hear from from you guys. It really makes a big difference to us. We really care about it. So thank you very much, and we heard from Keith. Um, who said many lovely things, so thank you, Keith. And then uh, we heard for the first time from Christina, who is from the Watch It television podcast. And uh, apparently I sound like Ellen Page. And uh, apparently, I yes. that. And, and I would like to say Christina and I have a history uh, in podcasting, and she'll be shocked to know that by complimenting our show intro, she is actually directly complimenting something that I did. I think <laughs> if she knew that, she wouldn't have said it. Oh, so. I, yes, this, uh, we should mention to those who don't know you or Christina that this is a friendly antagonism. We are not actually 
criticizing our fabulous listeners. But but yeah, so no, no, <laughs> it was very nice to hear from her, and uh, hopefully we'll get her to come on the show at some point. But uh, for mm-hmm. for now, that was great to hear from Christina. Uh, Ren says he's looking forward to DVD shelves for The Shield, The Wire, and Freaks and Geeks. And my only comment about that is, I am too. I really mm. would like somebody to pick those. <laughs> we only have one of those booked, and I'm not going to say which one. But uh, And then he also mentions The Adventures of Lano and Woodley. I've never heard of this. Are you familiar with this show? No, it sounds exciting, though. I mean, I've, I've never even heard of this show. So uh, let us know about it, Ren. Uh, we, we can do some Google searching, but maybe, you know, send us Assu- some Assuming that you haven't just made it up. <laughs> And then he also suggested that we should, uh, an alternative show title is the Good Times TV podcast. But then I feel like people might expect us to talk about good times. So mm-hmm. that. That'll have to be a, a, another DVD shelf at some point. But um, So that was mm-hmm. fun. And then Mario also was talking about, for last week, the, the just how ridiculous Sunday nights have become. Just like everything is on Sunday nights. So, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. And so then he and Dan, we were both talking about uh, Amazing Race or or they were talking about Amazing Race and uh, what they're liking about this season. Mario also uh, has never heard of Space or hasn't seen it at least and same with Dan but uh, which I thought was interesting because I kind of assumed that everybody kind of had heard of it and it's interesting to know that that is not the case. If there's anything that working in a video store has taught me it's never to assume that people have heard of stuff. Yeah. Um, Mario does like MI5, though. I think that shows a lot of fun. I, I got away from it a while back, so I've only seen some of the early Matthew McFadden seasons, but I really like it. Are you familiar with MI5? No, I'm not. There are very few of those super long-running British series that I I watch, except for Peep Show, which I would love to talk about at some point. Fingers crossed for that one. Um, and then the last comment we got was from Dan, and as I mentioned, we were talking Amazing Race, and he's going to move space up his queue now that since we talked about it. So I think that's fabulous. And I, you know, based on his blog, uh, I think he's Dan's gonna get a kick out of out of space. So you'll have to report back to us and let us know. Um, but yes, as you can tell, we love getting comments, so please comment on the the site, soundoutside.org. We'll have a post up about the show, or you can send us emails and Twitter and all of that good stuff, because um, it's always, it's it's great, like I said, to, to interact with you guys and makes everything so much more fun. The interview this week is with Jesse Singer from the Watch It television podcast, which he co-hosts with Christina, and Film But Not Forgotten, and we are talking The Newsroom, which is our first Canadian entry, so... It's, it's exciting. It might be a while before we get another one. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a good one. This is one that we feel yes. very confident about. It was a lot of fun to to talk about mm-hmm. that with him. So, so yeah, let's uh, let, let's get into it. So the only show we have on Tuesday is New Girl, and I had a lot of fun with this episode. Based the the main premise is that Jess accidentally walks in on Nick <laughs> doing a, a a naked dance to some Jamaican music and sees all of it (laughs) and so uh of course that makes everything incredibly quirky or not quirky but awkward and 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 um hijinks ensue from there and it was it was a lot of fun the group dynamic is working really well and they're doing I, i feel like their characters are are distinct enough at this point that the there's a particular sense of humor for each of them that fits with the character and is well executed and they have really toned down Jess from being 
annoyingly quirky. Now she's just that's who she is kind of level. Does that, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're making it believable rather than making her a cartoon character. Yes, and this is it is much appreciated. So yeah, I I really had a lot of fun with with that this week. So I it would seem that despite my frankly frank hatred of the new girl pilot it is now one of probably my favorite new shows of the year so that was a lot of fun now on wednesday we had the premiere of top chef for this season it's top chef texas and uh it was so much fun because we actually got to watch this one together and uh yeah and well it was it it was important to me that we have a reality show that we're both watching because you've been off doing Top Chef Just Desserts and The Amazing Race by yourself, and it seemed to get lonely over there. So I And I actually do watch Top Chef, so it was exciting for me. Less exciting was the prospect of 29 chef testants. And how many judges? Five. Five goddamn judges, and one of them is Emeril. What is going on? <laughs> Though he didn't say bam. You he, were... did, he didn't say bam, although a, cont- a chef testant did say bam, and that was almost as bad. <laughs> Yeah, but no, it was it was not a not a bad premiere. I mean, I think I, I'm anxious to get to the cream of the crop, and and it also felt and I'm we don't usually have this sense, but there were definitely a few people in who seemed like they were th- deliberately being thrown to the wolves. Yeah the the first person eliminated the 22 year old uh, caterer who couldn't cut meat, who couldn't butcher a thing, and just destroyed <laughs> destroyed that that beautiful piece of pork. I mean, come on. And and I mean we could tell we were of the opinion that you know that they were kind of uh, going with the 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 woman who had gotten screwed over by the the tenderloin. Uh, they kind of like yeah we'll we'll give you a second chance here. But mm-hmm. just the fact that they let that that first guy in, I mean, damn. Yeah, and you were so right when you were watching it at the time. She should have just been like, look, I would expect that you brought in people with just the basic skills. So yeah, well, yeah, because like, why would why would you let somebody else butcher your meat? It's like, well, because somebody has to butcher it, and I just assumed that you wouldn't put idiots on this show. Yeah, that you yeah exactly yeah. So, but other than that, I mean, it was it was fine. Yeah, it was an inoffensive the, premiere. I thought that the twenty nine candidates or whatever worked better than I thought because of the way that they split it up with the multiple mm-hmm. teams. Now I. I don't like that they did that. I don't want to have an audition round to yeah. Top Chef. That's one of the things I like about it, usually, that it doesn't have that. Uh, even even just directly to staring at the camera and, you know, it, it was a direct lift mm-hmm. of American Idol. Yeah, it's totally the American Idol effect. And, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, I, we'll see what happens with having that many uh, judges. I, I assume that means that we're not going to have guest judges? Oh, they're totally going to have guest judges. I don't know. I, I assume that... I don't really know what they're going for here yet. I mean, I guess we'll see. <laughs> and it's going to take another week to even just get through the auditioning round, and well, then we got to get, get, deal with the people on the bubble. And that, how? Like, I feel like in five years the thing is going to be a year long. Well, I just, I don't know. And my my other issue with the way that they did it, while we did get to spend more time with each of the people, so we actually, I feel like we got to know the contestants that we saw this week. Better than the, usually when they don't have this initial round. Mm-hmm. I feel like we because there were like ten at a time, you got to know them better than when we started with sixteen. And yet, what? But in two weeks, half of them are going to be gone anyway. Yeah, and so what's the point? Yeah. But the, my other problem with it was that the first team to go had five people, and the second team to go had what? Had had six people. So there are already eleven people chosen, and there's only sixteen slots. So. 
whoever is in the third team to get picked is just kind of screwed because they're less likely to be hit because there are fewer spots left. Yeah, And then there's all those people in the bubble also. And there's all the people in the bubble. So I don't know. It just didn't seem particularly fair. And I, I don't know. I just, I, I want the show actual show to start and well, maybe we'll just watch it again in two weeks. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but it, it was fun to have it back and it was fun to, to watch it and be able to talk about it with you on the show. Yeah. I know it's something that some of our, our listeners are excited about, so hopefully they will let us know what they th- thought mm-hmm. about that. Don't screw it up, Calicchio. <laughs> Next, we had uh, Suburgatory, and uh, we got a little, we've been complaining that there hasn't been enough Alan Tudyk. And we got a lot of Tudyk yeah, in his it? undercarriage. <laughs> so what did, you, what did you think of the episode? Oh, I thought it was a lot of fun, especially just watching him and Sisto uh, sort of have their little, their little class duel. Uh, was great, um, and we also got a, a little bit more of the sense of the of the school this week in terms of uh, Jane Levy's character sort of interacting. I mean, they're still laying the the parody and the satire on very very thick, and not really giving. I mean, I I think the one thing that I that I missed this week is that because we got more Alan Tudyk, we got less Allie Grant, yeah. and I've been really really yeah. loving her on it. I think actually she might be my favorite thing about it. Uh, but uh, it was an acceptable trade-off, and it was a, another solid episode, I thought. Yeah, I did think it was a lot of fun. I like the little bit of backstory we get up from Sisto and Tudyk about their time in college, because mm-hmm. I've been missing, I've been curious about... Because they haven't ha- brought that up in ages. Well, how have, how do these two people know each other? You right. know, how are they friends? And I, I like that that was addressed. Um, yeah, it was... I, it was fun. I didn't think it was their best, but it, yeah. you know, it was definitely fun. And I, you know, I was sort of surprised they didn't keep. I was, I was assuming that Jay Moore was going to stick around for a little while, but I guess he's just going to sort of come back whenever they feel like it. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that. It, I mean, it, it has not been in, in really any way a serialized show, so mm-hmm. I guess you know when when his schedule allows. I don't know yeah. if he's touring or something. I also feel like every week they push. Cheryl Hines' cleavage a little further. <laughs> a little bit more. I'm wondering what the limit will be. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's still a lot of fun, and I'm I'm, uh, I'm enjoying watching it. Now, of course, after that, we watched Happy Endings, and uh, you really enjoyed the Halloween episode. How did you think that this compared? Well, this was not as good as the Halloween episode, but most things aren't. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, no, none, of these, none of these episodes are really spotlight-worthy, but I really felt like it was, a, it was a, a, an across-the-board solid week for, for, for the sort of weekday comedies. I thought this was another solid one. Uh, you know, as someone who didn't watch the series for them, I mean, I saw the pilot and a couple episodes here and there. I didn't necessarily have a strong sense of each character dynamic. And so this week was a good, a good way to sort of familiarize myself with each of those. And I, and I, I thought it was, you know, another, again, another solid, funny, not revelatory, but very watchable 22 minutes of television. Yeah. I think for me, I'm starting to take away Max as the I, as soon as I feel like Max is the best character and the most entertaining, then they put Jane on screen and we get to mm-hmm. watch Eliza Coop be ridiculous with Damon Wayans Jr. And one of the things I liked about this particular episode is that I felt like Alicia Cuthbert actually got something to do. I feel like yeah, she's the character yeah. most underused, and I, I liked her here. Yeah, and her and um, Penny. Wow. Her and Penny's uh, sort of swap was was very funny. Sorry, I'm not. I see. I, I'm so new to the show that I'm not even there with the with the, the actor slash character names, except of course for Cuthbert. Um, but uh, yeah, and I think that was probably the most consistently amusing sort of bit of the episode. Well, and I think because of course in the Halloween episode we we got uh, Alicia Cuthbert, uh, Alex, we got her with Dave, and this week 
uh, it was nice to see him with Max and her with Penny and to mm-hmm. not fall back into the 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 ex couple that are always hanging out all the time. I, yeah. I, I like that it's much more of a loose group dynamic. Well, yeah, and it's the you know by by this point on How I Met Your Mother, for instance, you can pre- pretty much pair up any two characters and they can have fun with it any given dynamic mm-hmm. and that's what you should have with a comedic ensemble and it seems like that's what they built up on happy endings well, but even on how i met your mother it was season what three or four before they really had marshall yeah. and robin spending any time together and yeah, so true. i think that's a smart move to sidestep that and to you know make sure that all of their characters mm-hmm. can can play off because it, it maximizes other. their options because yeah. i mean it's you know, there's only so many things you can do with friends hanging out, and, and but but if you want to maximize it, then make sure you can have every any given combination work. And I did, I must say, I did enjoy the commercial. Yes, and just it it felt very, uh, very much something you would see on TV. And yeah, and and it was it was a good week for for cryptic video campaigns. <laughs> yeah, I would. Yes, I would absolutely agree. But we'll get to there later. I did not get to Big Bang Theory this week because, you know, of my time up in Montreal uh, hanging out with y'alls. But we did watch Community. So what did you think of this week's episode? We, we did. Uh, we, it's funny because I've been having conversations with people about Community and a couple of people in particular have been bitching me out for not being positive enough <laughs> and pretending that I don't like Community as much as I really actually secretly do. Uh, but I did, I did think by season three and like like later season two standards, I thought this was an above average episode purely for the funny. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I tend to enjoy community more when it angles towards the funny as opposed to the conceptual. And I know that's that's not a statement everyone will agree with. Uh, and I also know that the the closing seconds of the episode offered pleasures that were exclusive to you. Oh yes, of course. Inspector Space Time was so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I so I just sort of t- I, I took a moment. I had a micro nap and just I would I just let you sort of absorb <laughs> absorb the fun. Uh, but I, and it's all, it was also funny to me because in that moment when Troy was looking down at the he's in that hallway looking down at the air conditioner and I thought, hey, I wonder when they're bringing back John Goodman because it's been like you know five episodes since we've seen him and there he is, literally five seconds later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought he was much more amusing here than he was in the in the first episode of the season. Well, and I think that the promise of that continuing storyline is incredibly interesting. And I, as much as this has never been in any way a serialized show, certain people just pop, well, you know, will get referenced a few times, particularly family members and such, but they haven't done a continuing storyline. And I am really interested to see what they do with that. Mm-hmm. Cause I thought it was hilarious here. I, I really enjoy it. At the beginning of the episode, I was like, Oh, they're just bringing back the, the Troy plumber thing. Mm-hmm. And now the way that they're, they're tying it in, I think, has a lot of potential. And, they, and they they brought back a lot of recurring stuff this week. I mean, the stuff with Jeff and his father and the stuff with Britta and her psychology courses, yeah. uh, which was all which was all nice. And I thought it, it was made for a nice snippy episode. Well, and when you're talking about them bringing back Britta's uh, her, her re- recurring uh, psych student, Mumbo Jumbo. Yeah. Uh, Edible complex. Ed- yeah. <laughs> What it really pointed out to me was just the fact that as my and I did really enjoy this episode and I enjoyed all everything that we got with the characters got, but they have still failed to use Shirley in an interesting way or a dynamic way or really let her do anything other than bake and be religious. And I feel like you know, I, as much as I enjoyed Britta in this episode, for me it just spotlighted that while Britta started out as the least interesting and developed character, Shirley really has fallen by the wayside and they need to work mm-hmm. on that 
Well, I mean, it's also somewhat true of Annie. I mean, she hasn't really, we haven't really had anything Annie-centric. Well, and it, well, we had the Model UN with Asian Annie, but they have okay, that's been, true. They've been very much just centering her around potential right, love yeah. stuff, and that's not. So we might say the community has a lady problem. No, Britta was good. Yeah, but it's still. Sorry, I'm rebelling against the lady problem. No, but no okay. you're right. You're right. There is a there is a little bit, but I really don't think it's so yeah. much a lady problem as a Shirley problem. They, I don't feel like they've ever yeah. known how to use her, and and I think Yvette, oh, what's her Nicole name? Brown. Yvette Nicole Brown is is fantastic. I think she does a good job with what she's given. I just think, you know, they haven't mm-hmm. they haven't made it work. Yeah, and I miss little character moments like you know, for instance, Chevy Chase and Yvette Nicole Brown sort of having a kinship because they're both actual adults. And- <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, that's totally gone, and that's too bad. But let's talk about speaking of uh, of Pierce, his his dad in this episode and his ivory hair. Yeah, well, th- that was. I mean, the ivory hair was kind of funny. There was some other like really surreal humor that you know was just again sort of falls more on the clever and not funny side to me. Like John, like the the many strange things in the in the air conditioning stronghold, which you know is cute, but like okay, I get it. Like we'll just move on. Um, but yeah, the ivory hair was was cute, and uh, it was pretty easy to see where it was going. And but I did like the way it tied in with with British psychology and Jeff's like recurring issues. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure if that stuff is going anywhere, but it was it was nice for them to include so many callbacks to past stuff. One of the things that I liked in seeing in this episode, just briefly, because I am a U of I alumnus, so I L L I N I for anybody else who's out there. Um, is the Urbana Champagne the the uh, drag queen? And I don't know. I apparently am not literate enough on things that are memes or other things that are going around on the internet. So I don't know if that's something they made up or not. But as someone who went to University of Illinois at Urbana Champagne, I do really enjoy. <laughs> this is now the second mention uh, of that character or person, and so I, I I just remember the first time they they mentioned mentioned her in passing and it was just I was like wasn't sure that I caught that right and then I just thought it was like sort of an in joke like a writer was an mm-hmm. alumnus or something but I thought it was so much fun bringing uh bringing her back in this and I really enjoyed that in my own U of I alum way excellent but good times yeah it, it continues to be strong not amazing but but a lot of fun mm-hmm. yeah I will concur with that did you hear that people I like community all right Jesus <laughs> Get off my back! You're just you're just pretending so that we will stop, t- you know, giving you a hard time. Yeah, you're you're, you're tricksy that way. Yeah. Um, after community, though, we had Parks and Rec, and the in my notes I wrote one word, <laughs> and that one word was dog. <laughs> yeah, they laid on the schmaltz thick this week, but man. But I loved it. Yeah, it was it was a pretty pretty solid episode. Like I, I think your your exact comment at one moment was that was a little on the nose, and the whole episode was a little on the nose. But uh, I mean, every there was a lot of nice little moments we got. We got the the sudden return of Natalie Morales, who I guess we're probably not going to see stick around. But no, I think she'll. I think she's going to be recurring somewhat. I well, hope at least. I, yeah, but I don't think she's going to like. I think she'll probably she'll show up again at some point. I don't think she's going to stick around. Yeah, and literally. I liked that they threw in just a you know very short one sentence explanation for where she's been you know mm-hmm. she's at she's at IU and that makes a lot of sense and it also explains why we, we haven't seen her again when we should have really i think or tom you'd think that tom would have been spending time with her 
But um, but yeah, it was. This was. I mean, when you get to the end of the episode, and April mm-hmm. and Andy are at the Grand, because I kept trying to figure out what it was. Yeah, yeah. Well, their their whole plotline was really was really sweet. Well, and if they hadn't, if they weren't already married, I would have assumed it was get married in Vegas. But right, yeah. But, but they, it was yeah. But they was, already had a perfect wedding episode, so yeah. they can't. They don't need to do that again. Yeah. Um. Although I I do wonder what they can do. Like I wonder how long they can they can do the cute married thing and have it be funny. Like I'm I'm wondering how how they'll stave off Jim and Pam syndrome. Well, but the thing for me is with them, it's not about them being cute and married. It's about the fact that they are just such a great team. Yeah, and that's what I think works about them and and the pairing of those two. On this show, like I mean, it was for most of their things. I didn't feel like they're being particularly cute. Except the ending was fantastic, but for that, but like the Burt Macklin <laughs> FBI and all this was just goofy and silly mm-hmm. and fun, and their embrace, how, how the way they embraced just being stupid mm-hmm. was, you know, it, it just really worked. And looking back or thinking back on the earlier seasons of the show, it took them a while to figure out. Uh, to figure out Andy, and I'm so glad to see where they've taken him because it was a lot of mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, whenever they just let his freak flag fly, it's always <laughs> a good time. And all this, I thought all the stuff with uh, Adam Scott and Amy Poehler was solid. I mean, it, it was a little sudden because they've had like they've had a, a, quite a few episodes of not mentioning their whole well thing. And... We've gotten from him, but not from her. Yeah, and then suddenly she's upset again, and that, that was a little well, a little forced, but you know it was fine. Um, and of course, the party was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm always, I'm always happy. I mean, I'm a little sad that that's going to be the last. I assume of the 720, uh, the location, the, the cornucopias, and that location and the excess. Mm-hmm. But uh, well, and I also love that every time it, well, the party look was perfect for those two characters, and I like that we get to see um, Tom and and John Ralphio actually being. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just happy we got other. to see John Ralphio. We haven't seen him in too long. Well, and but the other thing that, about the episode that I want to make sure to mention is I love that like every shot we got of Ron, he's counting money and yes. just grinning like a maniac into the camera. Yeah, and obviously, um, dumb doomsayers are fish in a barrel. But once again, that's that's fun fish in a barrel. I mean, it's pretty hard to screw that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I also appreciate it as I always do whenever they have Le- uh, Leslie and. And uh, Ron talking, or you know, it's it's always, you know, he doesn't want to. So I like that they keep that character mm-hmm. trait. But I, I like how it it usually combats the cliches that we see in these shows. You know, Ron's advice isn't, well, then go to him. Or yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Ron's advice is, yeah, but this is life, and this is what life really is. Yeah, and suck it up. Yeah, <laughs> basically, suck it up. Nope. Yeah. It, yeah. So I I just I really enjoy that dynamic and I'm glad to, that we that they they meet it out pretty you know part, they, they parcel it out we don't get too mm-hmm. much of it but I like what we do get and I got that we got we, we I like that we got another declamatory and Perkins it had been <laughs> it had been too long do you think they're putting them back together um well I, I I used to think that maybe they were gonna pair up Adam Scott and Rashida Jones but that's looking less likely I mean yeah. I don't know I mean. We haven't really seen them rehash a relationship yet, mm-hmm. so I'm curious to see what they're doing with that. But I, I, I offer no predictions because I'm terrible at them. Yeah. Um, but let's move on to Always Sunny. So I, I, we, you know, anybody who listened last week knows that I loved their episode last week. Uh, what did you think of this one? I thought it was a solid. I mean, they really haven't put a foot too wrong in a, in, in a while. Uh, th- this, I, I, as much as I enjoy the bottle episodes, I also like when they – sort of pair off into teams 
like almost as if they're doing their own personal version of the Amazing Race, uh, except it's an Amazing Race of douchebaggery. <laughs> and um, and I, I love the I, I love their delayed responses to stuff like you know they're just now doing a Facebook episode and it's perfectly in keeping with what they do because everything is everything is delayed and the most delayed person of all is is Frank. Uh, this was not their best video personal video moment. I think yeah. they in fact it's probably not even in their top five. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I thought it was an amusing amusing again amusing not amazing is is this seems to be the theme this week well yeah when we were watching it the thing that uh like part of the way through the episode after about the first five minutes or so when they get back and they're starting to do their viral video i, I and um dennis brings up that he wants to go back to the shusher I was so happy because I, I was sitting there being like, oh, man, I don't really want to see them do the Facebook thing. I'm way more interested in them tracking down tracking the down shusher because yeah. you know they would. It's, uh -huh. I, so I really enjoyed how that worked and, and the way that they, they made that, you know, really again. And like we were saying with Happy Endings, pairing up different people each mm -hmm. week. And, uh, yeah, it's good. And we got an appearance from David Marciano, who is, of course, on Homeland. And you haven't gotten there yet, but he shows up on The Shield for, a, for quite a – he's a very significant character on The Shield as well. Mm -hmm. I'm always happy when they bring in drama guys on, on – it's always sunny. It always brings me the warm fuzzies. But honestly, I think my favorite thing about the episode was just the ending. It was perfect. <laughs> it was just – it was wonderfully sinister. Well, and I don't know. It's something that I noticed when I was watching it this week. I love that there's always like three alcoholics in the back of the scenes drinking in in patties, yeah, yeah, and they they never comment on it, and we never really even see their faces. But I'm pretty sure it's like the same three guys. Maybe they're on the crew or something. But maybe probably one of them is Fred Savage. Oh, that would make that would make sense. We didn't we, we didn't, didn't even mention, mention Fred, Fred Savage. Savage. <laughs> We're gonna rewind to happy endings for here for a moment. Yeah, we. And it's always I've always found it funny that. Fred Savage directs so much Always Sunny and directs so many sitcom episodes, and yet I could never think back to him actually appearing in any of them. And this week he not only directed but made a brief appearance and a quite funny one on Happy Endings. Well, and I'm that person who's had The Princess Bride memorized since I was six years old, so I really loved that little uh, that little moment. And I do think Fred Savage is, is a lot of fun, and whenever you see him interviewed or he seems like he's really game for a laugh and to do these sorts of mm. things. So I thought it was, you know, a nice little touch. Yeah, and he's one of the few people who es escaped the '80s whole. <laughs> so it's always it's always nice to see someone survive. So let's move on to the rest of Thursday night. So the last of the comedies for Thursday, at least, was Beavis and Butthead. Now I I had so much fun introducing my my dad and my sister to it. Uh, I showed them the premiere, and it was just as fun the second time. And they started out uh, rather eye-rolling and, uh, shall we say, unenthused, but ended up as Beavis and Butthead fans, which was pretty pretty fun for, for me. How did this week's episode compare? Well, as you know from seeing it last week, the show is divided into two sort of narrative segments, which is which are sort of divided up with these music videos and reality segments. And of the two sort of narrative segments, I thought one was really, really, really funny. And the other was just okay. The first half being devoted to Beavis and Butthead get hung up on... They're watching some old-timey TV show. And they get hung up on this idea of asking for someone's daughter's hand. <laughs> and they, of course, take it the wrong way. But then it really just seems to be a gateway. An, a, a, an amazing gentlemanly gateway into getting laid. Um, and they, uh, and it's, they run with it in a pretty hilarious way second half involves telemarketing not as funny 
Uh, some of the reality segments were funny. Some some weren't. So it was it was a little more hit and miss this week, but still quite enjoyable. And I'm, I'm it it's there's something weirdly refreshing about the show. I think just their their vision of unfettered stupidity is delightful, especially when channeled through you know Mike Judge's old man complaints. <laughs> now on Thursday, I also watched the season premiere of Bones. Now last season, of course, ended with Bones is pregnant by Booth, and they're both very excited about this, and so that now the, the the premiere picks up several months down the line, and um, what I, I like about this is that because of Emily uh, Deschanel's pregnancy, they that's why they decided to, to go with this storyline and to, to make Bones be pregnant, and I think it was just such a smart move, because they basically just skipped over all of the, the, the parts of the, the relationship that would I think derail or be difficult or not really work in this kind of a show or, you know, it'd either be boring because we, there's no tension and we know they're just going to get together or it would feel really contrived because they're, you know, manufacturing misunderstandings in their dating protocol or something. So they just skipped right all over all of that. And bones is still bones and booth is still booth. And now they have a kid or she's pretty far along the way and so then they're are discussing, you know, where are they going to live? And and Temperance is still herself, but she has all these extra hormones that she's dealing with in this very matter-of-fact, rational sort of way. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Now, for, for fans of the show, if you don't really like Bones, I don't think this is going to be anything to convert you or anything like that. But I think they're handling what could be a tricky situation for, for a long-running series very well, and my my only big problem with this episode was the ridiculous, ridiculously terrible violinist they had on it, because there was a character who just had this situation where in order to speak, he needed to play the violin, and it was very distracting because he's clearly not a violinist, and they, I don't understand why they didn't just cast someone who could play the violin and is an actor. For example, Matt Yanking would have been a great choice, but... Instead, they picked this guy who didn't seem like a particularly skilled actor and definitely was not a violinist. And why make him a violin? It, sorry, I, I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm ranting. It hits home for you. It hits home because it's not something that is easy to fake. You can fake piano easier because you can just not show the hands and, you know. But when you're trying to fake violin like that, it's just, I mean, it's just not going to work. And they shouldn't do it. So, anyways. And that, since that was what was bothering me, clearly there weren't too many problems with the episode. So I, it's it's nice to have that show back. And I probably won't review it on the sh- on uh, the podcast, but I'll maybe check in if there's one an episode that's particularly interesting. And uh, we'll, I guess, take it from there. Now, on Friday, we had Supernatural and Fringe. Fringe was finally back after several weeks off. On Supernatural, I... This is one of those episodes where it's not amazing, but it's just consistent and solid. And the more time I got away from the episode, the more I liked it because they, I mean, it was just, it was just solid. It made sense for these characters to be interacting in this way. And you could see them doing the work to put the characters in the position they need to be in for things that are going to come down the line without it feeling too manipulated or too obvious and and I appreciated that it's basically it's something that we've talked about before where the different you know the difference between film and movies or film film and television that is 
is frequently that television allows you to spend the time on the, the small moments that build up and then so that eventually when there's a payoff you've had uh, all these tiny moments along the way that uh, have been part of the process and so this episode featured several tiny moments like that and it was nice to see that plus they fixed Sam and Dean the the brother relationship is now for the moment at least not angsty and they're talking to each other and trusting each other and it's about damn time because it gets really annoying when they're just being angsty all the time. So I liked the episode. It wasn't amazing, but it was, it promises good things to come. Now I was less positive this week on fringe. What did you think? Well, your description of this week's supernatural, a show that I don't watch, I think applies to me to both this hour and to another show we're going to be talking about. I didn't think it was a stellar hour of fringe. Certainly not a, not nearly up to the best they can do to me it was mostly just getting the pieces in place we've got peter back albeit you know with things slightly confused and you know we sort of are setting up the potential big bad this this season you know getting to know these sort of um shapeshifters v2.0 although we don't know who they're reporting to exactly or at least i don't think we do unless i'm i'm missing something um and you know, and and none of it happens in a particularly interesting way, but it was it was it was a competent hour of fringe. Let's say that. Although I, I did like, we we did get a nice action beat near the end of the episode with with our uh, shape shift dress, uh, <laughs> sort of running 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 around along the walls and stuff. That was cool. I liked that. Other than that, not the most exciting hour of fringe. You're right. It just it seemed like there was, and, and I mentioned this in my review on the website. There was a lot of talking. A lot of people talking about stuff without much actually happening. Like when I sat down, mm-hmm. you know, was taking my notes, and I looked back on them and I, I, you know, when I wrote down what actually happened in the episode, particularly what actually happened that didn't pertain to characters who were dead at the end of the episode or, you know, other in other ways insignificant, there was very, very little. So for a show mm-hmm. that I feel has been particularly strong this season, I would say this is definitely the weakest episode so far. Well, I, I think the really the real weak point of the episode for me was sort of toying with uh, Walter's, emo- you know, what they do with his emotional state throughout the episode. Like he's he's up, he doesn't think that Peter is his son, and then he thinks, oh, maybe he is, and you think, oh, he's going to make a breakthrough, but then no, he retreats because that's apparently what they want him to do. So it's going to take him long. They just seem to be sort of biding their time on certain things that you know are going to happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I I agree with you. I mean, it it wasn't. Uh, I mean, it, it didn't, it didn't, you know, crap out, but it definitely felt like yeah, you could have done a little bit more with this forty five minutes of our time. Yeah. Now on there was something on Saturday yet again because as previously mentioned, we aren't watching Bedlam, and I guess the networks have given up on Saturday. So on Sunday we had the Amazing Race, and it was nice to hear from some of our listeners that they are watching the amazing race as well. So I feel a little more justified in covering it uh, every week. The annoying brother and sister team that I was uh, rooting against, I would say have been eliminated now. And so we have a new target and that is the Australian douchebag and his not douchebag son. So there are, they're the new villains of the piece and hopefully uh, they will just, they, they will go away because 
it's gotten really frustrating to to watch the dad and this father son pair, especially because the son seems like he's really you know laid back or at least not an asshole, and the dad really seems like an asshole. But you know, it's really hard to tell with this with these shows because so much of it comes down to the editing, um, and just because the annoying brother and sister team were supportive and lovely this week, so I highly doubt that they have changed in the short span of time that they were running the race, but it's such a a stark contrast in their portrayal that it makes it pretty hard to trust anything that we're seeing. Is that something that you have trouble with in reality shows? I I treat the entire uh, subspecies of reality shows as as suspect at all times, uh, regardless of what the show is. So, I mean, I I guess I, I, I don't have as pure a mind as you. I just assume I'm being taken down blind alleys all the time fair enough fair enough and you know if it wasn't so well done then i wouldn't uh you know then it would bother me more i wouldn't be willing to go with the show so i guess maybe they need to give their editors uh, writing credits or something but uh, i am really enjoying the show and it was another good week so we'll see what happens from from here on out now you caught this uh mini series heart the heart she holler uh, I had not heard of this at all until we, you know, we're sitting down to record. So, what is this, what is the show or miniseries? And uh, the Heart She Holler is a by the by the time next week rolls around, it'll be over. It's airing every night this week until I think Friday on Adult Swim, and it's a new miniseries starring Patton Oswalt and Kristen Schaal. It's from uh, Chapman and Lee from PFR. Who are also responsible? They're the meth-addled anarchists who also brought us um, Wonder Chosen and Xavier Renegade Angel. And you know, I personally think that Wonder Chosen should be taught in elementary school. So I'm I'm a little bit biased, uh, not not seriously, but if I that's what I would do if I were teaching elementary school. Just, that's why we don't let you teach elementary school. Just so you know, potential educational boards and powers that be. Um, so this is really sort of their their take on a soap opera particularly with a with a southern bent and it's just as nightmarish and impossible as you would expect uh i i don't know i i'm i'm particularly attuned to their sense of absurdity like you know people watch community and say oh they're so they're, it's just so, so kooky and weird and by broadcast network standards yes it is but i would suggest that people who are sort of interested in the more surreal side of shows like Community to check out their body of work because they've been doing insane stuff since before Adult Swim even existed, as far as I know. I mean, Wonder Chosen was somehow on MTV, too. So Uh, anyway, I I have nothing. There's no way to analyze their programming. There just isn't. Uh, Just if you you enjoy the theater of the absurd, uh, check out the heart she holler. And it's always good to see Patton Oswald and Kristen Schell getting work. Yeah, they're both hilarious. And, um, they're both people that I would love to get out and see, um, do, you know, in, in performance, you know, on tour and catch some of their stand up. So maybe this is the, the right opportunity, you know, since they don't seem to come by my particular neck of the suburban woods very frequently. So, um, yeah, thanks for checking, letting us know about that. Cause I would have completely missed it. So, Mm-hmm. And nearly all of America will miss it. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I'm. 
Yes, I would imagine. Now, there was also on Sunday The Walking Dead, which we reviewed for uh, you know, on The Walking Dead podcast and Sound on Sight, so people can check that out to listen to us and discuss Cherokee Rose with Ricky. But uh, very quickly, I liked it. You liked it. Yep. It was it was adorable. It was a lot of it was fun um, discussing Cherokee Rose and incest on the Walking Dead podcast. Then we also that was followed by the premiere, the pilot that is of Hell on Wheels, which is AMC's um, shiny new western. So, what did you think of this pilot? You know, it's funny. If six months ago you had told me that AMC was premiering a new western with Cole Meany and Ted Levine in the cast, amongst others, like Common, um, I would be super, super stoked. But then over the last couple months, you know, the advance word on this show started to leak out and it was not positive. But I just, you know, we are independent thinkers. We must give the show a chance. And yeah, this is not a particularly good pilot. I mean, it's AMC, so the production values are there, you know, and and, and the cast is is mostly fine. I think it's mostly an issue of writing and I, I perfect example is just the design of the main character. I mean, they really want to have their cake and eat it too with this guy. The fact that he's a ex Confederate soldier who owns slaves, but, but, but he let them go before the war started. Yes. He saw the error of his ways. Thanks to his, his saint of a Northern dead wife. wife. Thanks to his dead Northern wife. Mm-hmm. And, um, and but he but he still fought for the South based on honor, which based on honor, yes, yeah, which is something that I'm sorry that just struck me as so bizarre, um, and you know so you know th- th- they really want an edgy protagonist, but they don't want him to be a racist edgy protagonist. You know, he's the slave owner with a heart of gold. So well, and if that weren't enough, they also make sure to to let us know just how much of a racist bastard one of the characters is so that it's okay when our protagonist wants to kill him. You know, that, that sort of thing. Watching this show. Yeah. I don't I mean, perhaps I, I always try, I do my best to, to go in with an open mind and a clear mind, you know, as well to not bring prejudice and other reviews and things that I've heard into it. Um, but they, this show just lost me very quickly when I was watching it, I was rolling my eyes at the five minute mark practically. So yeah, it, I'm not a fan. I do not plan to watch any more of it. It's well made. It, like you said, it is very well made. It has an excellent cast, at least of the people that I'm familiar with, but it does not feel true or real. It feels like somebody decided that they were going to write the next great gritty Western. And this is what mm-hmm. they came up with. So I'm not interested yeah, and, in that. I'll watch the 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 great fantastic western that I haven't caught up with yet, which is justified. So I will watch that instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it doesn't help that there's a whole bunch of unflattering parallels to Deadwood specifically, which mm-hmm. is you know like my probably my favorite show ever. I mean, just the Cole Meany character, who is by far the most hilarious part, unintentionally hilarious part of the pilot, is clearly a corollary for Al Swearingen. And especially because he's prone to monologuing and his monologues are just awful, especially the one that closes off the episode is just is a real is a real groaner. Well, and you you watch it feeling bad for Colmini because this is what they're giving him to say. I mean, mm-hmm. he I think he does 
as much with it as you can as one could expect and he's downing the scenery because there's yeah, no yeah, other totally. there's no subtle way to say that speech yeah but i mean come I on am a villain. <laughs> oh my god it, yeah it, it's it's almost like he was directed to watch there will be blood and then say that like daniel day lewis is at 10 percent here we want you at 100 yeah yeah, it's it's not a good performance. It's not his. It's probably not his fault. But uh, oh, I forgot that Tom Noonan is in there as as the local priest, which he's he's totally wasted here. I assume he'll be wasted again later. You know, if it's the sort of thing where if I hear that there is an, an appreciable improvement, you know, there it might be worth checking into. But uh, yeah, it's not not a good pilot at all. Yeah. But let's move on to cheerier topics, such as Homeland. Now, this is the first time we are not spotlighting Homeland since it's, you know, since since Breaking Bad ended, at least. Um, what did you think of this week's episode? Well, this is the other show this week that I felt like was coasting a little bit, which is which is different for Homeland because it was still it was very watchable coasting. But I did feel like we essentially watched a bunch of things happen that were a long time coming. You know, we get. Brody having a having a confrontation with Mike over you know his wife's infidelity if you want to call it that yeah let's call it that um I I did like that it was precipitated by a third party which made a lot of sense but uh it was sort of a beat that I was hoping we weren't going to have as blatantly as we did but I mean we got it over with that's fine the other beat of course that we probably should you know that everyone should have seen coming was uh, Brody and and Claire Danes' character finally, you know, to use the medical term, banging. <laughs> slamming? Yeah. Slamming, yeah, if you're in Toronto. Um, <laughs> which, you know, I'm not thrilled about, but it was sort of inevitable, even for a show this good. So, you know, that's that's done with. I, I I'm. It, it's funny because this episode was written by Henry Brommel, who was, of course, the second showrunner on Rubicon and there was also a, a sort of a polygraph themed episode of that show. So it, it, it makes sense that he's sort of, he's sort of bringing up his, his, he, it's, it's harsh to call it a failed show, but basically it was, it feels like he's taken another crack at, at Rubicon to some degree, which I totally enjoy and watching the various characters react to having to take a polygraph was fun. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, probably the probably the weakest hour of the show so far, relatively speaking, but still, I mean, still very good. I didn't have any trouble with Brody and Carrie hooking up. I thought that it made sense, but I was also somewhat surprised by it again, just because I feel like it would the easier choice is to not go there. You know, really? They, yeah, I think so because this is how are they going to get out of this? I mean, either way, how how are they going to have a season two if they if well, they got together, you know, at, at least to the extent that they did this early in the season? You can't mm -hmm. you don't have 24 if Jack, you know, if Jack Bauer sleeps with Nina, you know, in season one, you know, that's not how it, you know, I don't know if that is a parallel that makes sense, but mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I have oft I've been thinking long and hard about what exactly season two of Homeland will involve. I mean, there's got to be some kind of reset involved, unless it's unless they're just going to get really silly on us. 
uh, something's got to change. Oh, I, I also I really liked the scenes between our uh, our runaway terrorists or terrorist yes. and and hanger on. I thought those the, that was that stuff was all really interesting. Yeah, and again, like that's the my biggest takeaway from Homeland at least right now is that I really have no idea where they're going between the stuff with Carrie and Brody and with Faisal uh, or at least his his wife and with Saul, I really have no idea what's going to happen and I mm-hmm. love it. So Yeah, no, they're 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 doing an excellent job prolonging the uncertainty while still progressing the stories yes it's easy it's easy to make you wonder what's going to happen if if you don't you know if you don't know where you're going or if you just keep stretching you know it's it's a very different thing to go through this much story this quickly like like even just a few episodes back where they skipped you know like a month or several weeks at least in their Mm -hmm. timeline and so i don't know i i I feel like it's really interesting. I'm really excited to see where the show progresses from here because I, you know, if I were writing it, I don't know that I, I would have, <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel like Carrie and Brody getting together is more of like an end of season kind of stakes upper or something like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, you, you're, it's true. They're, they're essentially doing the, uh, another version of the breaking bad thing of writing themselves into what seems like a corner and then finding a sort of, Potentially, I guess, finding uh, an interesting or exciting way out of it. And then, you know, continually writing themselves into corners in interesting ways. Yeah. We'll see what happens. And uh, I would expect that probably Homeland will be back in the spotlight section next week. But we'll We'll see. see. We'll see. Other than the triumphant victory of my Chicago Bears over the Eagles on Monday evening... How I Met Your Mother is our only Monday show. So what did you think of this episode? In which, in which the slap returned. This, the return of the slap. I feel like you yeah. need some triumphant music for that. But mm. I, I'm curious what you thought about the first most, you know, great part of the episode and then the last, the last tag, the last The last scene, 30 seconds or so? The last 30 seconds. Well, honestly, is there, is there a way we can make the entire show about slapping? Because... They really, I, I know it's nice to have as a thing that comes back and, you know, that, that you can keep track of. But honestly, I, I'm pretty sure that 95% of the show's highlights are slap related. Yeah, maybe that's right. exaggerating. Yeah, okay. I, I thought maybe I was exaggerating, but not no. really. And this was another, <laughs> I mean, you really can't, and, and especially that last slap, that's, that <laughs> second slap that you, that you, you get, you instantly, that you quickly figure out is coming is just so triumphant and satisfying. Um, and Jason Siegel is just the master of slapping. He, <laughs> he, I feel like he must practice for hours on, on some like NPH face dummy. <laughs> the, and NPH also, he sells it well too. It's mm-hmm. it, yeah, it, the, the, the fear, the sheer the terror. unbridled fear and terror. Yeah, totally. Yeah. He's, he's doing half the slapping by being mm-hmm. slapped. Yeah. Well, it just like, as soon as he puts the, the, the blush on his, it's so, so tender, so sweet. <laughs> yeah. No one slaps that, me. That, it would really great. hurt. I mean, I mean, as for the ending, the the sort of relationship contortions are the thing are not really what interests me about how I met your mother. I mean, it's it, it was another it was a, another one of those beats this week that you felt like you know it was coming. When was it coming? It's coming now. And so now we have it, 
it's more a matter of where do they go from here with it to me. Yeah, I mean, of course, I think everybody expected Barney and Robin to uh, to hook up again. And I would be surprised if anybody actually thinks that Barney's going to be getting to marry, married to Nora at the end of the season. But, mm. Have you uh, noticed we haven't seen her in like five weeks? Yeah, I mean, it just, I don't know. We'll see what happens because I'm sure they're going to want to stretch that out so that there's more mm. of a question just based on the way that they used that that scene as a bridging you know narrative of the end of last season and with eventually meeting the mother but yeah and they're also going to want to stretch it out because there's like 17 episodes left in yeah. this season there's a, i did not expect i expected it to happen i did not expect it to happen this soon so mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see where that where that goes as far as the, as the rest of the episode is concerned i did of course love the, the stuff with the slaps and the uh the the ducky tie at the beginning was was great and also, the the whole uh, flashback with Hurricane Irene, I thought, was really a lot of fun. So we'll see uh, we'll see what happens with the ending. But as far as the rest of the episode goes, I it was a really fun episode. So I, I, How I Met Your Mother is is doing a good job. We will now take a, a short short break and talk about our spotlight show, which was The Good Wife. So we're gonna. Woo! Yeah, it was a really. I, I was very. I was very excited when when you said that you wanted to cover it as spotlight because I just yeah. Well, we'll get to it. Okay, so we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. I blew it, Doug. No, Jan, you did the best you could. Don't worry. Here. Sexuality, it's a significant part of our culture, depicted in movies, magazines, and TV. But in the workplace, sexuality can easily become sexual harassment it's not fair Megan only got that promotion because she's sleeping with a boss when an authority figure becomes involved with a subordinate is that sexual harassment unwelcome sexual conduct can also be verbal good morning gorgeous even an intended compliment can create an uncomfortable work environment And we're back. That was, of course, the sexual harassment video that Alicia and company watched at the end of this week's episode. Now, when I was watching The Good Wife this week, and the episode is is Executive Order 13224 is the name of the episode, I just spent the entire episode, every about five or six minutes, saying, oh, that was really smart. Oh, that, that was a good <laughs> choice. Oh, that was well played, etc. What did I mean? Obviously, we like this episode. We're choosing to spotlight it. But what did you think of 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 the good wife of the good wife this week? Every once in a while, this I mean, you know, most weeks the good wife is solid, smart entertainment for adults. But every once in a while, they whip out an episode that really shows you what they're capable of. And this was not only the best episode of the season so far, but maybe. I won't say the best episode ever, but certainly like top three of episodes they've done so far. And we're now, you know, partway through the third season. So that's a big deal. They do long seasons. Um, I knew this was going to be great when within the first two or three minutes of the episode, I was on the U.S. State Department website reading up on Executive Order 13224. Not many shows inspire me to go to the state, the U.S. State Department website. 
And just reading the hilarious wording on this thing is, I mean, it, it, the whole episode is based on double talk and double think. And who better, of course, to, you know, sort of exploit the comic possibilities of dealing with these labyrinthine laws than Bob Balaban. Perfect uh, casting for that role. Perfect, perfect, perfect casting. I loved him in this episode and just especially just just the way he'd be like, yeah, you you can get an attorney, but I don't advise it. Well, it's just <laughs> he was both comic and incredibly sinister at the same time. Mm-hmm. Sinister in his lack of, you know, lack of agenda or just how absolutely um what's the word? deflecting or uh Well, he trustworthy he seemed he perfectly encapsulated the the concept of the banality of evil like he's he's just he's so ruthlessly bureaucratic but at the same time totally harmless but at the same and, time would you like a cupcake yeah exactly all oh, the cupcakes uh yeah that he was he was so great uh just great use of the of the cast in general um in, including uh bringing back peter's attorney carrie preston uh, who's who, fabulous Carrie, she was she was the I think the just the the gemstone of the episode. So great, they need to have her on way more often. And I'm, I, I know I say that about several people in the cast. I mean, it, it tells you something that this was such a great episode, and Alan Cumming wasn't even in it. Mm-hmm. You know, like some and some other other great players did, did didn't either didn't show up or were, had very minor parts. Um, and it, what's also very telling about what a great episode this was is that thinking back like i barely think about or or barely remember the moment of the verdict you know there's i so many you know legal procedurals you know it's all about that dramatic moment of finding out what's going to happen but this is all about the process and it gets you excited about the process and who to thunk it yeah for me the, what i thought was interesting uh, along that same line is that there was a lot of great stuff with with uh with Peter this week and, and the, you know, they had that Peter and Will showdown kind of scene, but that's still not what I remember, you know, similarly to how the verdict isn't the point of the story. I did think that J.O. Sanders was fantastic as the judge. And I thought he was, again, it was another smart choice to go with that judge as opposed to some of their other recurring judges. And as far as Carrie Preston goes, I, I enjoyed her very much when she was on the show previously. It's just such a, a pleasure for me to watch her get be this character because she's um, also on True Blood playing Arlene, which is such a completely different character, and she's just as believable in that role. And what I love about seeing her again is that The Good Wife does a good job of showing... Again, we always talk about how it shows people being good at their jobs, but I love that they show different lawyers having very different strengths and that there it's not just there are good lawyers and bad lawyers or people who do a good job and people who don't, but there are people, you know, that, you know, if, if you can compare, I actually don't remember the character's name, but um, if you compare Carrie Preston's character to, for example, Michael J. Fox's attorney who pops up every now and again, or the, just the other stable of re- recurring lawyers that we see, it's so great to see, all these different approaches. Like, you know, I'm sure very that whoever it was that, that uh, Will and Diane were gonna set, um, were gonna set Alicia up with to be her lawyer would have been excellent, but maybe not quite good enough, and and not as successful in the way that 
that she was able to be successful that Elizabeth mm-hmm. was. So I just, I got a lot of pleasure out of that character. Just even tiny moments like, do you know where I get my parking validated? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Just, I, yeah. I, I think my, my favorite little scene was the one between um, Will and, and Diane when they really begin to realize just the levels of deception that need to be incurred. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they're just like... <laughs> Did you tell Alicia to leave? Um, <laughs> and at some point, he's just like, oh, "I did." What do we do, but <laughs> then I, yeah, it was great. It was great. What did you think of having Titus Welliver back as as Glenn oh, Childs? Well, I, you know, Titus Welliver, god of sex, very happy <laughs> to have him back. Uh, you know, in you know, not exactly. You know, he he wasn't providing the fireworks this week, or he he, he generally doesn't on this show. He he underplays nicely. But it's nice to know that he's still floating around and still a guy that they can that they could have in places that it that it makes sense. Um, another thing I really liked about this episode is the way they're dealing with a topic that could have so easily been the subject of sermonizing and speechifying. You know, the fact that we, you know this is a case that has to do with extraordinary rendition, has to do with the Patriot Act, has to do with really heavy stuff. And except for that one line from Will about you know is your boy Obama torturing? And then they, they say no, but you know, mm-hmm. we don't, we don't really know, do we? Um, you know, besides that, there's really no discussion of sort of the broader implications. It's really just for you to sort of pick up on. And that's something that you'll never see on another legal procedural is letting you pick up on themes instead of bleeding you with them over the head. Well, and I also like that. Yes, we are led to believe that Alicia's client is not guilty of anything, you know, other than give bringing medicine to the wrong person. I mean, but but it's also shown that he clearly has lied to them. So we don't know that he mm-hmm. is not, you know, that there's no reason for him to have been at least held or detained. And so I enjoy, I enjoyed that that didn't come up in Alicia's conversation and in her thought process, much like when she's. Uh, dealing with Dylan Baker's character, pre, you know, in the previous times when he's come up, he's clearly a terrible person who kills people. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't change who she is and her thought process. And I, yeah. I really appreciated that. And we finally get, I mean, so much happens this week besides so just the awesomeness of the case. We we also get Will and Peter sort of, sort of directly butting heads for the first time, as far as I rem- remember. And that, and, and it's not in the way that you would necessarily expect. It's not over the things that you would necessarily expect, at least not on the surface. And their scenes together were great. I mean, um, Chris Noth is, it's tricky with his character because Noth isn't always available. So they sort of, they sort of bring him in and out. But I'm hoping that they can have him stick around for a little while and get more of those sorts of interactions because their scenes together were great. Well, and unless I'm mistaken, this is the first time that we actually see Peter know that they're having an affair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is the first time that at least based on Will's discussion with him, it's implied that they both know that Alicia's sleeping with Will and that Mm -hmm. had not been something unless I missed it. That had been stated earlier. Well, hopefully Will knows, but you know that Peter knows and that Will knows that Peter knows. And I also, Uh, thought it was hilarious the way that Diane and and Kalinda find out with the mom pick up the phone mom pick up the phone <laughs> yeah, tone, yeah which is uh, that was nice 
Well, and how delight- deliciously awkward was that last scene with, you know, just they're watching the sexual harassment video and... Yes, yes, that was fantastic. Um, and a- another thing that's that's really great about the show, and it was discussed a little bit in the comments on, I believe, Michael's Michael Ryan's uh, piece for his procedural um, column, is what is the end game for the show? Like, where does you know, where does Juliana Margulies end up that is a good place for her? I mean, you know, is it, is it just that she ends up back with her husband? Is it that she ends up with Will? Is it that she ends up with neither of them or both of them? I don't know. Is like, what is, what is the happy ending? The show doesn't really offer a simple one, unlike just about every other relationship on TV. And that is some, that's, that's actually the thing that I think I find most fascinating on a basic level about the good wife is there's there is no suggestion of of a single happy ending well and peter is still can still be quite bastard but he's in the right this week and he does i would say a herculean task effort of not rising to the bait and and Mm -hmm. keeping it classy san diego you know or or with uh and then separating himself from the case i mean we've seen of course, all these characters on the show be more interesting and dynamic than on a standard series, um, let mm-hmm. alone a standard you know procedural. But their just their refusal to make a good guy and a bad guy, I think, is fantastic. Especially you know because Will, they, they, he's incredibly shady in, this week and and uh, rather rather douchey as well, just in his mm-hmm. uh, pettiness with with Peter. So. And then I also enjoy Carrie's position in all of this because he does like Will and you know, he does. So I really, they've done such a great job. It's, it's kind of feels like two seasons of legwork have led, allowed them to be in the position that they're in now so that it's just a much more interesting situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, they're really enjoying just exploiting every ambiguity, every strange little relationship, every little bias and uh, th- yeah, you're you're right. It's they've they've carefully built this all up, and I'm I'm you know I, whenever they do an episode this awesome, I always hope that they'll keep up that level of quality. And if, they kind of can't mm-hmm. because it's they they it happens when they hit on an idea that's just so juicy that they just make a perfect episode out of it. They're not going to do that every week, but I I'm hoping that I, I'm I'm hoping that it'll hit that that next strata where it's. Because often, you know, usually it's just a really a, a procedural that happens to be really good at everything it does, and then every once in a while it'll go to that next level and be like really just great television that's that's doing stuff that no one maybe has ever done in the same way, and I'm hoping they could keep that up for more more, more frequently, which which I don't know if they can, but I would I would love for it to happen. Yeah. The- I mean, I, we should wrap up, but the um, the last few things I wanted to mention are, first of all, it was great to yet again see Caitlin doing a great job at doing a great job and uh, and catching things in the redac- redaction. And then I thought it was also it was another one of those oh, it's smart moments with the way that they did the redaction with the the beeping things out and having the 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 judge and the 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 interviewee actually appear on camera and say the words that aren't redacted and so it was just it, yeah i just it, as much as i appreciate it for the character and the stories and and the 
the performances and execution. I also very much appreciated it just for the craft and for the way that it fits together and for in a more um, objective, you know, just watching people put a show together in a smart and intelligent way. Yeah, it's, you know, th this is a strange comparison, but earlier this year I, I went to see Crazy Stupid Love in theaters and I, I came out of it thinking, God, I wish that was, you know, not a, not a perfect movie, but I wish that was the baseline level for mm -hmm. romantic comedies. I wish The Good Wife was the benchmark by which other networks were plotting their procedurals. Oh, man, that'd wouldn't be that fantastic. be amazing? Would, yeah. Wouldn't you get so excited about a new procedural? <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and that's something that I was talking about with my uh, my parents the other day because they tend towards procedurals more, and we were trying to define what a procedural was and I you know I felt I heard myself saying well just because it's a procedural it doesn't mean that it has to be bad you know it's just because it doesn't mean that it has to be predictable it doesn't mean that it has to follow the same format every week there just needs to be a at the beginning of the episode they get a case or at the beginning of the episode somebody's killed and at the end of the episode the case is solved or the the you know on, on house the disease is discovered and maybe it's cured or not it doesn't Procedural does not have to be a four-letter television word, and this is an excellent example of how to do it right. Yep, totally. So. And, and and they're doing it right in ways that I'm not sure anyone has done before in, in the context of a procedural. Yeah, it's, it's a great show. And uh, so hopefully you guys... Uh, Leave us a comment. Let us know what you thought of this week's episode, if, uh, if you liked it as much as we did. And uh, yeah, it was... Just it was a it was a joy to watch. So, any final thoughts? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, if if anyone has a a, a prediction as to where, I, I love wild speculation, and, and I've often been thinking where does where does the good wife end? I have a theory, but uh, I'm curious as to if anyone out there is watching the show, and I hope people are, although it's not necessarily the easiest show to get into right away. Um, I'm wondering where people think the show ends because it it does seem to it seems to have an elusive natural endpoint. yeah well um now of course uh, related to that you can let us know where you think the show is ending by posting a comment at the at the blog post that we're going to put up at soundonsite.org and you can read all of our different reviews there we've got what community misfits covered by Giannis and uh, you and Ricky are doing Walking Dead, and Kath is doing Grimm, Ricky's doing Once Upon a Time, Dan is doing Chuck, Ryan is doing American Horror Story, Corey's doing Homeland, and I'm doing Fringe and Supernatural. So that's, what is that, it's like 10 series that we're covering now? Man, we we assembled that fast. We go did. Team. Yeah, go team. It's pretty it's pretty great. So that's all that all that stuff is going on at soundset.org. Of course, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. There's an M. M p3 feed and an m4a feed and of course it would be great to get ratings i don't think we have any yet so that would be a, a delightful surprise for us so if you like the show um go ahead and uh and you know rate us or leave a leave a review on itunes or if you don't then that you can do that too but then i'm confused why you're still listening you know what an hour into this uh podcast at least um you can email us um at our at our email for the show, which is theteleverse at gmail dot com, and then of course we're both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse. You are at Sucker Howell. That's H O W E L L. And uh, I think that's about it. Is there any... okay? So we're going to go take a break 
here briefly, and then we're going to come back with our interview with Jesse Singer about the newsroom. So that was a lot of fun. We got again, we got to do that one in person. So got to listen to you two Canadians geek out about your Canadian humor and all of these mm-hmm. delightful. And just just drop a bunch of references that will never mean anything to you. <laughs> Pretty much, or for that matter, for to nearly anyone who listens to the show. So it should be interestingly arcane. Yeah. It was fun uh, talking with you guys. So we'll be right back after this. We just got the CNN feed out of Kinshasa on that train that plunged into the Congo River. Dead? 200. On the nose? A guesstimate at CNN in Africa. Give or take 20 bodies either way. Are there piranha in the Congo? I wouldn't swim there. Make it piranha-ridden Congo. How about piranha-infested Congo? Better. George? Your mother on four? Oh, uh, tell her I'm in a meeting. No, 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 no. Uh, tell her I'm um, busy. Tell her I'm away for a week. Two weeks. Tell her I'm away for two weeks. So do we go with the fight in city council about rezoning the waterfront, which is a big local story, or do we go with the train wreck halfway across the world? We go with the train in the Congo. Uh, we're supposed to be doing the local news here. Yes. We're looking for a local hook. He's on the phone with this guy. Okay, my guy says there may have been a Canadian on board. There. Okay? Local is that book. local enough? Did he go into the river? Is he dead? I don't know. I'm on hold. We'll find out. Oh, okay, hold, hold on. Uh, Piranha-infested Congo. Who said there's piranha in the Congo River? Jeremy. No, I never said that. I never said there were piranha there. said there were plenty of fish there. I, I'm saying let's use the word piranha. It's higher concept. People identify with it, and we'll use something like piranha-like. How's that? Piranha-like mm-hmm. fish. We, we still haven't even confirmed this Canadian. Well, we're hoping that there's a Canadian dead. I mean, that, that's... We're hoping he's dead. Okay, how about this? Perhaps one Canadian was eaten by piranha-like fish. I have a problem with that. I mean, uh, how do we know he was eaten? Perhaps one Canadian may have been eaten by piranha-like fish. Or perhaps one Canadian may have been eaten by flesh-eating fish. I can live with flesh-eating. Yeah, your mother's on four. Okay, okay. Um, Tell her I'm busy. Tell her I'm busy. Actually, tell her I'm out of town for two weeks, okay? Three weeks. Welcome back to the Televerse. Uh, I'm Kate Kalsik, as ever, joined by Simon Howell. And this week, we're at the DVD shelf, and we're talking Newsroom with Jesse Singer from uh, Watch It TV Podcast and Film It Not Forgotten. Thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. So we were talking, and uh, the show that you picked, The Newsroom, is yes. one I'm, I'm very grateful for you uh, for choosing. For, because... You're grateful for me. Yes, I'm Thank grateful you. for you. Yeah. Appreciate I'm... that. <laughs> I'm grateful that you chose it because it's a Canadian series and one that I was completely unfamiliar with and one I would not have seen at all if you hadn't suggested it. So what is it about this series that prompted your choice? This is a series that I think season one, you can you can look at it. I think it was 96, 97, because they, they've done three series of it. So mm-hmm. 96, 97 was the first one. And it was on played on CBC, which is Canadian uh, National Channel, CBC. And I remember catching it at the time and just being just i just loved it i thought it was so original and the writing was so strong and very kind of dark and satirical and um a little pretentious although i know finkelman uh who created it would never doesn't like that word or never you know when he i read an interview once he said um if a critic calls his show pretentious he knows the critic's an ass or doesn't know what he's talking about (laughs) that kind of thing so yeah so it's one of those shows i had and i even have uh, a vhs tape with all of them still on like i they repeat it i record them all on vhs obviously there's nowhere to watch it now but that's how much i just love the show at the time and then it took them i think nine years before he did series two i think it was 2004 yeah and uh yeah and, and in between there was the movie 
he did escape yeah escape the newsroom and then he did a bunch of other shows uh one at the hotel i think or at the motel um married life he did a bunch of other shows and uh so it's one that's always stuck out in my mind. Every time I talk to people about my favorite shows, whenever I forget about this one, I always go back. I'm like, oh, I should have told them about this one. It's one of those that I always want to like make sure people see because I know a lot of people haven't. I think it aired in the States on PBS. Okay. But it's one of those that people just don't get a chance. I, I kind of feel like, and this is a, a hugely flawed comparison, but to relate to the American audience, mm-hmm. Ken Finkelman is sort of like our Gary Shandling in a way. Well, the, the comparison to Larry Sanders show is one that most people make. Yeah. Fair enough. Because this takes, takes you inside the newsroom kind of behind, whereas it, they say what Gary Shandling did for late night talk shows, Finkelman did for the newsroom. Although mm-hmm. this came before Larry, or was it around the same time? When was uh, Larry Sanders? Uh, Larry Sanders was around the same time. Yeah. And uh, his previous show was obviously way before the Gary Shandling. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm sort of trying to think, because of course, you know, it's funny because Canadian TV has reach in some parts of the world, but not really usually in America. Except or, for Degrassi, right? Everyone knows, yeah, except, everyone knows Degrassi. Except for Degrassi. I wound up having a conversation in Colorado with a girl from Israel who knew exactly what The Odyssey was. And I was like, wow. Wow. Remember that show, The Odyssey? I, barely. But, I, but cu- I couldn't tell you anything about you, it. You barely remember it, and yet... And I'm a Canadian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that tells you something. Uh, Canadian TV is a, a very strange uh, world for anyone not familiar with it. It's a difficult thing to explain. Um, and, you know, when you talk about the... Well, it's, I think a lot of people from, not, maybe not in the States would understand, but people in Australia and the UK, they would understand because of BBC yeah. and Australia network, whatever their local net, their national network is. A lot of these countries with the national networks have, understand what that kind of is about in a way that shows they're very kind of... Yeah, but Centric. but Canadian TV is much less influential, generally speaking, yes, than UK very TV. Much so. very I think much that's so. that's uh, fairly clear. And when you talk about the, the sense of humor in the newsroom, which is quite biting and cynical and dark, that's n- not not unprecedented in Canadian TV. <laughs> but it is somewhat unusual in terms of the, the oh, there are a lot of shows, especially now in Canadian comedy, mm-hmm. that re- that re- revolve around sort of safe humor. Whereas True. there are shows like this and Made in Canada, which is another. That uh, was a great one. Great show. That was a good uh, that's one. That's also too. sort of an inside entertainment. Type but we show. have, I think we have a history of that stuff with uh, yeah. like this hour is twenty two minutes. Um, even I mean, uh, SCTV wasn't you know poked fun at things, yeah. and and so did Kids in the Hall. So there on the comic side, Canada does have a strong uh, history, and well, I think we have a stronger tradition. history of comedy than than TV drama. I Correct. could be yeah, wrong. Fair enough. <laughs> That's an interesting point because as as influential as Canadian humor and com- Canadian comedians are mm-hmm. to American the American comedy sensibility and in the entertainment industry as a whole, I do find it interesting that there is such a, a drought of Canadian TV or references or or even just airing of shows in the United States. You'd think that since so many of our you know popular yeah. comedians come from Canada, that there would be more you know interest. You would, th- uh, yeah. I think I mean look at Canadian movies. The same thing. Like so, a lot of them will play well in Canada, and they'll be they'll win awards at festivals and stuff. But they won't get uh, the kind of play. They're either a little too—I don't want to say highbrow because there are highbrow American movies, but they—they you know, don't—they don't travel well, or mm-hmm. they're a little too kind of odd. Because you know, we—it's a kind of odd. Yeah. I think because we're um, with, with with CBC in the newsrooms, you're allowed. I think what they do is they basically told Fingelman do whatever you want. Like he had full reign of the place, mm-hmm. whereas in the states. That's very rare. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty much a, just Louis. Louis now, <laughs> and that's about but, it. <laughs> uh, Curb your enthusiasm. Yeah. I'm sure he has kind of full reign. So yeah. people that have that full control, 
Like he writes, he wrote every episode, co-wrote about five of them, direct every episode, stars in the show, produces it, created it. So and they, and they're swearing in it, which you don't, you know, it's mm-hmm. very much like whatever. You yeah, need I was to struck do. by that. Watch is like, when did the CBC air this exactly? Because because it, you know, there is there is there's not like a ton of swearing, but it, it does pop up, and I was like, huh. Even these, are you, they, they, they they don't really block the swearing on Canadian television much. Yeah, I just didn't notice any when I was a kid. Right. I don't know why it's <laughs> popping up to me now. Um, and what's also interesting to me about the show is the fact that you do have the season or the series rather in '96, and then in 2001 you get you have the British Office, and then when in which you you can kind of see there's mm-hmm. like backdrifts of influence. And so when Newsroom comes back in '04, you know there's that there's that set of sort of mockumentary episodes, although they don't exactly take the format all that seriously. No, and but so you, th- you can kind yeah. of see the, the the influence going back and back and forth. I thought that a couple of times in the season two of the newsroom ends with four. The four episodes are there are mockumentary episodes, and there's a couple of uh, moments where you'll see someone like look in the camera, and I'll just be thinking of Jim in the uh, yeah. American mm-hmm. uh, yeah. American Office, like how he does his like look into the camera. I'm like, oh yeah, that's kind well, of and the, and the character that Finkelman creates clearly has some affinity with with Ricky Gervais's character on The Office, although there, there are differences. What, what, what's interesting, because I read, I was reading just online, and I saw someone say, say something about how he started watching the show going, oh, it's just a ripoff of The Office, and then he realized it came before The Office. <laughs> like, uh, considerably before. Yeah. yeah. When we were talking about breaking the fourth wall and looking directly at the camera, and that's something that we were watching that one of the, the late season two episodes earlier, mm-hmm. that's something that I, I noticed, but what I enjoyed about it is that uh, Finkelman's character, you can see him trying to not look in the camera, but also, you know, like unlike something like Jim or in the office, more shows like that where they tend to directly address. Right. It was more, it felt much more realistic as like somebody who's been told not to, you know, and it was so in fitting with the character, you know. Very much so. Like there's a lot of scenes in, the, in that in that four episode block where he is saying something that he knows is coming across as selfish or, or he sh- knows isn't good, but he'll be, and then he'll kind of. Kind of hold his head down, kind of not look at the camera. They realize there, then change what he's saying, and then look at the camera and like apologetically say, "Oh, it's it's just you know some people just can't work together and that kind of thing." So <laughs> yeah. it's very much very conscious yeah, of what's I, going on. I would say the difference between um, Ricky Gervais in The Office and yes. Finkelman here is with with Gervais there are no cogs, and with Finkelman <laughs> you can see the cogs turning. You can you can you can see you know he's not always the you know, the brightest guy, but you can see but, okay, I have to backtrack, I have to. You know, manage the situation. I have to not. I have to find a way to not seem like the asshole. I really. Well, I think. Am. Yeah, I think it's. I think. Yeah, I think that's what I was going to say earlier. There's uh, Michael Scott and Ricky Gervais' character. They're both basically idiots. Like, and you you watch them. And you're like, how did they get to this position? At least with the um, with the American Office, uh, they have a few episodes where Michael Scott. You can see he can really sell, mm-hmm. and they. Oh, okay, I can see how he. Ra- but they're just you. You're just frustrated by them not being that bright and kind of un, 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 un understanding of how people actually see them. Whereas, I mean, Finley, uh, Ken Finley's character is is really smart. He's really good at he's, his job, and he's good. At, but he's good, at, and he's also really smart. He's well read. He's always quoting uh, Bruce and Feline, and like you know, so he's he's very intelligent. But he's also completely selfish and self centered and uh, self involved, and just it's all about him. Mm-hmm. Well, because he's you know, they're both. All three of those characters are very concerned with how they're coming off, you know, with the the camera crew and and their their coworkers. They're very concerned with how they they appear and what people think of them. But mm-hmm. it's such a different, like I would say that the Michael Scott and um, 
escaping me right now, Ricky Gervais's character. We uh, just keep calling him Ricky Gervais's character. It's such a disservice. Uh, David Brent. Yeah. There we go. Well yeah. Michael, Michael Scott and David Brent seem far more clueless. They like they kind of just Completely. assume that everybody is where, mm-hmm. whereas uh, uh, Finley is much more aware of the societal norms and how what he should exactly. be saying and exactly. and yeah. I appreciate that because it, it feels much more I mean it's it's all I would say it's a bit more sinister and realistic to what Very people are so. like yeah mm-hmm. yeah and it really gets into kind of when they're talking about the news and you know okay we're gonna go with the story okay how many people died any Canadians did okay let's hope they die we'll go number one with that what's the speech <laughs> you know let's, and it's so cynical and it's but it I mean maybe. I mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure we're all a little cynical ourselves, so it just makes complete sense. Yeah. I'm just watching going, yeah, that's probably how it is. That well, it makes, makes it more wa- – it makes it more enjoyable and more watchable because, uh, you know, as much as I do very much enjoy shows like Sports Night and, you know, that have a much more optimistic feel to mm-hmm. what – and I'm sure Aaron Sorkin's new series behind the scenes at CNN, um, Morris' story develops, I think, or – yeah. Maybe they're coming. Which they need to come up with a shorter title for yeah, that. Yeah, I heard they're going to retitle it. Okay. Um, well, whatever. Like yeah. St- Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, we just call it Studio 60, right? Yeah. But now we don't call it anything. Now we don't call yeah. it anything. <laughs> um, uh, but just don't call it late for dinner. <laughs> th- those, uh, those, those shows are much more optimistic about the um, – I always think of Isaac Jaffe from Sports Night, about the motives of the people behind the, the, the stories and behind the, the production. And I just – while I do really enjoy it, it feels much more like a fantasy than, mm-hmm. than this. This seems just so much more... Yeah. Now, what does that say about us? <laughs> yeah. The cynical kind of, you know, yeah. one is the one we like, that's that's real. That's I, That feels more genuine. And speaking of being cynical, I mean, um, part of the part of that cynicism comes out in the design of the character of Jim Walcott, played by Peter Callahan, oh, who is so, so great. Good. If people, I mean, he's he played, for both, those of you who might only know him from, he played, he was on Seinfeld. He was on episode or two of Seinfeld. He played the, oh my god, the he, um, the the assistant to the mayor. Remember mm-hmm. the episode where uh, the ice the, the the ice cream the um, frozen yogurt episode where it's not are you, Seinfeld? No, no, I, I just. I, it's, I, it's, not, it's not coming okay. to me. There's a uh, frozen episode, uh, yogurt episode where it's supposed to be fat free, but mm-hmm. Elaine, Jerry, they're all getting fatter. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And it's actually, he plays a character that was played by someone else the first time. Okay. And then when they brought him back, it. They the, recast him. It recast him for some reason. He played the character a couple times. But I can't remember his name. Anyways, so that's where some people might know him from. But he is brilliant as this completely unaware. He's kind of like he's much more than Michael Scott. He, yeah, he's kind of like well, he's kind of like David, like Finley, like Finkelman's character, just dumb, right? Because he's just self self. He's, he's just know, as self absorbed, but not as, as intelligent. But not yeah, not as yeah. he doesn't realize it as much. Like he's just like yeah, well, I'll talk if, about my time with a prostitute or my <laughs> hair or I yeah I read the you know, he's going to interview um, Naomi Wolf yeah or was it Naomi Wolf uh, no logo what's her name is Naomi Wolf. Naomi Klein. Naomi Klein. Naomi Klein. Who's Naomi? Anyways, interview <laughs> Naomi Klein, and he's like, "Yeah, I read the uh, the jacket and the first page of your book. It looks really interesting." And he's about to interview her. And she's like, what are you talking about? You know? No, I think that's an excellent portrayal by. Peter Callahan. Peter Callahan, yeah, which you had already said, and I had already forgotten. <laughs> this, this is what happens when we review Canadian. This is the first Canadian series we've we've had on DVD oh. shelves. This is also so. what happens when we, when we record multiple DVD shelves on the same day. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that that character could have easily just been one note exactly. or gotten old really quickly. Mm-hmm. But just the and I'm commitment. not sure why it doesn't. I'm not sure. I I, I was thinking the same thing. It's one of those where. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I was at Broadcast News. Was was Jack's character a little like that? I haven't seen that movie in so long. But that typical kind of self-absorbed, kind of dumb head anchor is kind of so is 
as almost played. Like mm-hmm. it's we see that that's kind mm-hmm. of typical, but and yet this doesn't feel at all typical. Well, I think it has to do with the nature of stupidity. Stupidity is always surprising us. Right. You know, there's, <laughs> there's people find new and exciting ways to be stupid every right. day. I think that's never going to get tiresome. Right. I mean, it just it works with the rest of the characters too. That is also true. Like even the rest of the cast, like how he always has a couple yes men. With her. And the first season, there's, uh, I think Jeremy Holtz is one. There's, he's a stand-up who I kind of know, and there's two guys. And the second season, it's uh, some other people. But he always has a couple yes-men with him mm-hmm. who kind of know he's an idiot and will stab him in the back at the first chance. <laughs> but they're also there to help him out and listen to his crazy stories about whatever happened. And there's a, I don't know if, there's a great scene where he's talking. Uh, there's one, they're just standing in the hallway, and they're talking about how... Uh, what what does she eat for dinner? Mm-hmm. And he, there's no good Chinese food downtown. Oh, and yeah, the holster, yeah, yeah. how it goes all around. And he leaves the bad food in his fridge. And then the, the yeah, and then the girl dies. And <laughs> dies. But it all kind of plays. It's very Seinfeldy how mm-hmm. all these multiple stories kind of all culminate in something at the end. Mm-hmm. There's a few episodes like that that's very yeah, very and Seinfeldy. That sort of brings up another point, which is that even though Finkelman basically write, writes the entire series, mm-hmm. y- there isn't the sort of consistency really that well, I mean it's consistently good mm-hmm. but the, the, the style is not at all consistent great yeah exactly. like he, he will go on stylistic digressions for episodes at a time and yeah the, the style of humor one. yeah the end of season one we've got the whole, i love that we and have a whole fellini homage yeah there's a there's a three episode arc about a meltdown and you and it's just so so satirical and so kind of you know when he's trying to like pick two two people to talk on air and mm-hmm. he's like casting we got some of the, from like uh, the china syndrome or whatever mm-hmm. uh and the, the whole fellini thing i thought it was brilliant but it's one of those that's that three episode is very controversial and not in the sense that people but yeah. it's one that people either go it's, i love the show up until that point and i don't mm-hmm. get it or i thought it was brilliant and i'm on the side of i thought it was yeah brilliant. just just go through the imdb comments well it was funny <laughs> until it got pretentious yeah <laughs> i love that and i i had just seen eight and a half within the, like a few months mm-hmm. of seeing the episode, and I'm watching, going, "Oh my god!" Yeah, as soon as he breaks out the the sunglasses and the yeah, cigarette, and then the music, and then yeah. he goes outside, and there's there there's um scaffolding with like the the things waving off, or, like yeah, the flag, yeah, yeah. just like, "Oh my god!" I was in <laughs> I was in fucking film nerd heaven right there. It was great. Unfortunately, when I was watching that, because uh, of course they have the Bar- uh, Barbara Seville underneath yeah. a lot of that episode. I'm a I'm a violinist, and so I've played that many times, and so I I couldn't help but notice. That part doesn't connect to that part. That's... Why <laughs> oh, would you, you heard, cut you that? You knew when he was cutting. Uh, well, yeah, because I know the, so I know you, the music. You were having so one well. of your weird, weird music nerd moments. I that was you having have. one of my the bread was store bought moments. Yeah, uh, that's, <laughs> that's what that's going to be, isn't it? That's, that's what that's yeah. going to be. Yeah. Instead, uh, you know, because because so I, for that's you know funny. that was just you know I was like, why would you cut that out? There's a transition and a bridge there that would work perfectly underneath <laughs> this thing. That sort of a thing, but which is of course just all all me. But and and I did have some issue. Go, I didn't quite go with it all, okay. all the way, but you know, I also am unfortunately rather Fellini illiterate. I haven't seen his his work, so maybe that would make more of an influence. I think it me. probably would. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe. I did really love, particularly the the first episode of that. I thought it was hilarious. Now with this series, it's kind of similar, and I've referenced this before, but my experience watching Father Ted, which is a British show, and also Larry Sanders, not the uh, Dan Aykroyd version. No. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> Very different. Um, where it took me a couple episodes to really enjoy the show. Where I, mm-hmm. I started watching it, and I was like, this is supposed to be funny? I'm not really... What well, is?" And But then once I got it, once I uh, clicked into the characters, uh, then I thought it was hilarious. And I, and I went back and wa- watched some earlier scenes. I was like, oh, no, that was, that was not the show. That was, that was me. Yeah. I hadn't, like, figured the out... The conversation about the brand yeah. muffin, yeah. that actually is really funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is one of those shows where you can watch, and you, you're not... 
cracking up rolling on the floor every five minutes but you're just enjoying it and you're you're kind of sometimes laughing your head and you're sometimes a little awkward and sometimes but you and sometimes you laugh out loud like there's scenes where you do but it's very much just about you don't have to be laughing all the time for it to be actually really funny well i feel like most of the time when i'm watching it it's less of a you know there are laugh out loud moments which Mm -hmm. i mean listeners to our podcast will know that that's kind of a rare thing for me i don't laugh out loud that much when i watch sitcoms but i feel like almost every time that i watch this this show i mean it's more of a of course he said that <laughs> kind of a thing. You yeah, know? yeah. Just, <laughs> it's one of those things where almost like immediately Finkelman just gets inside the character and just knows knows every the way, the way he'd react to every given situation and just knows the character inside and out so that when so that every reaction is satisfying. Well, and I particularly feel that with the anchor with you know yeah. when, when when he just starts down a tangent oh and when they're when he's in Kabul and he does the pet segment. It's like, oh, of course he did a pet segment. And it's worth Kabul. and it what that's another, another the way the show blends sort of this pseudo realistic style with absurd humor mm-hmm. is is great and also fairly rare, I think. Yeah. Hmm. There's only a few, I mean, cuz it, it's interesting because you know, shows like um, News Radio did a couple just weird episodes, and and you know, Spaced or or Community have done more absurd, just kind of we're just going to do this because we like it. Yeah. But but this has a different tone than that. It, it you know, while he does do the digressions like the, the three or four episode end to uh, the first season, it's still it it comes back, and I don't know, it's it just feels kind of different to me than mm-hmm. than, than those it's, other it's, shows. It's less. It's less parodic and more experimental. Yeah. It's more just like, I'm going to go... Th- it's not like, I'm today I feel like doing this. It's more like like creative whims that he, mm-hmm. you, you don't know how long he's going to necessarily indulge them or where it's going to go. It's a little bit more sort of wild. Than yeah, I feel like he's more willing community. to take risks. Like yeah. he, he isn't sure that it'll work, but he wants yeah. to try and it. And it doesn't feel like a gag. Yeah. It doesn't feel like... Yeah, it's very, it's, it's very committed. Well, there's that great episode in the second season where the whole... The Cherry Pit episode where... At the end, he's he they cut to like on set, and he's directing some guy talking, and okay, you're going to say this about how he just didn't know how to end the episode. So now that's what they're talking about for the last three minutes about yeah. what he should say, and it's like really, yeah. I I totally forgot about that, and I'm yeah. watching going, that's awesome, and, and it works. I, and I I, I feel it. like it's that sort of experimental spirit that's missing from Canadian TV right now. Yeah, but it's also what Canadian TV allows, and I don't know why there isn't more of it. Yeah, well. The, I'm going to blame the recession? I don't know. We are talking about federal funds here, right. um, which, of course, separates us from the from the Americans. Um, yeah, I just feel like, like right now, I mean, there's always going to be something good. I mean, Made in Canada came after this, and mm-hmm. it's sort of in a similar uh, vibe in some ways. Uh, yeah. and that was the last sort of new Canadian comedy series that I really keyed into. Yeah, that was I. I used to watch that on reruns, and I, I found it one day. I think it made a plate on the comedy channel years a few years back. Yeah, it might have. And that's where I caught a bunch. I'd watch them all the time. Mm-hmm. That was really great. And now, now, now you have twenty two minutes, and you have uh, Rick Mercer report. So you have, but those are more kind of news type, yeah. daily showish things. Yeah, but I mean, but I mean, Made in Canada was. I'm sorry, we're t- totally off into Canada land now. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the last <laughs> time I found Rick Mercer really funny. Right. And maybe that. And whenever I catch the Rick Mercer report, I don't. I'm not particularly okay. interested. Yeah, I. I I just don't watch it much anymore, but yeah. Yeah, Being so... Canada was pretty funny. Yeah, I, I would like to see Canada back on the vanguard of comedy. I'm, I'm waiting for that to happen. And probably Finkelman's not the man to do it anymore. Well, he has that show on He does have Canada a new show, now, yeah, which we haven't seen yet. And I'll, I'm going to try to catch it now because I enjoyed this so much. 
I'm but. curious about the ones he did between season one and season two of The Newsroom, uh, mm-hmm. Married Life, At the Hotel, a few like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he, the George Finley character is th- placed throughout those as well. I think he bring, he's the same guy. Oh, interesting. Which uh, I, saw, I heard him interviewed on, uh, on CBC Radio about Good Dog, and that's what they end up talking about. And uh, so that sounds kind of interesting. Well, I imagine it's sort of like Steve Coogan with Alan Partridge. It's like the character Maybe. he'll never quite escape. Right, right, right. And as we were talking before, for those of you who don't know, uh, Finkelman started off, you know, he was, I think, a self-professed Hollywood hacker, kind of. Been, like, he wrote uh, Grease 2. He wrote and directed <laughs> Airplane 2. So he's, he's done that kind of. He's been in Hollywood. He knows what it's like to have the studio say, you know, no, do it this way and just kind of be at the mercy of all that crap and have, or try and make a movie the way you want it and not come out right. So I think one of the, another one of the reasons he likes the total control of mm-hmm. what. CBC, uh, CBC let him do. And, you know, it, and also there's sort of a tension between, like, Canadian and American representation. Like, usually when Canadian shows try on American content, and my, the closest and most ridiculous example I can think of would be Sue Thomas FBI. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, you're just cringing, and anyone it who's out there, <laughs> anyone who's out there knows what I'm talking about is all, are they're all cringing. But, for instance, in the episode when uh, the Peter Callahan character ends up in New York... As uh, as as a as a morning host, like it feels authentic. It doesn't feel it, like the, the, there's no cheap gags. It feels like he understands, you know, right? The, and the all culture. he does is to when to get out of a sketch, uh, like a bit on the show. He's like a, like a Regis and Kelly. He's like yeah. Read on the, yeah. and bits aren't going well. The audience is around because so he just says something. He always just says something about the troops and how you know the terrorists <laughs> won't win and the troops are great. And he always gets an applause, so he just always says it. Yeah, <laughs> so as, funny. as the resident American in the room now, and also when we were watching it, I was definitely cringing, going, I wish that weren't so I true. <laughs> I wish that were not accurate. But I, I also feel like, and I, I could be wrong, but we're talking about 2004, and I feel like in t- in like TV terms, it's relatively early for for like s- somewhat poking fun at nine eleven, which it doesn't so much do in that episode. But there's a few references oh, yeah. throughout it's, that season. It's it's out there. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it helps. the the phys- The geographical distance probably helps, but they mentioned yeah, he doesn't shy away. Just and just like in the season one, there's a ton of OJ talk. Yeah, you know, all that you know. I want the I, you know the Gary Van Susteren character. I want someone like that. You know, and, you know <laughs> he's always looking. You know, okay, get the OJ music for this thing. And, mm-hmm. You know. And I, I, I just, I'm not sure which, I forget which season it's in, but one of my favorite line readings uh, on the show is Peter Callahan reacting to the to his own OJ comparison. Oh, I'm OJ. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> or the episode where I think it's the mockumentary where he's talking about his his style and how he how he doesn't read any newspapers or listen to anything or know about anything so that when he so he can be fresh when he reports it. And he's like, when 9/11 happened, I. I was I was sleeping. I didn't know what happened. I might have been the only person, one of the two people in the world, who didn't know until like six, until like ten minutes before I was doing my cat. I didn't know, and I think that makes it authentic, like the average guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, really? And he's all genuine about it. So it, the the difficulty with this show is, I mean, it Finding is called the it. DVD shelf. <laughs> it 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 has been released on DVD. I know it yes. exists on DVD. Actually finding it might be trickier. It's difficult. You might have to be a little nefarious. <clears throat> season one is on YouTube. Yes, all of season one is on, on YouTube, and that might be where I watched it. Because if it's hard wow, to find here, it's, 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 it's harder to find in, in the States. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You have to, yeah, you have to sort of hunt. It's but, worth it. I Do you have a favorite season, one or two? I haven't seen three, and I know I couldn't find it, but you guys have seen it. Season, season one I, I, I was the only one I watched in its entirety. The other ones I sampled, so okay. I don't, don't feel like I can, I can properly say. Okay. Yeah, season one was just so much easier for me to find that right. you know, I don't know that I can accurately <laughs> but, judge. But, but I did really like what I saw of both. W- mostly what I noticed was just like there was such a consistency of quality. Like there was, yeah. there was rarely just like a, 
like a, a which actually also ties it into Larry Sanders for me, like another show that was freakishly consistent from episode mm-hmm. to episode. Yeah, uh, just there never really felt like they went in a digression that was totally unfunny. That just didn't happen. Yeah, um, we should we should wrap it up. But are there any final thoughts that you guys want to touch on? Um, no, I just I just hope this this uh, allows more people to see it who wouldn't have seen it or hadn't even heard of it because mm-hmm. it's one of those that, like I said, whenever someone asks me about shows, and I always try to remember bring this one up because it's one that. And even on Canadian television, it's hard to find anymore. They don't play it. But. And I was just thinking, if Louis C.K. has never seen this show, some, someone should send him a copy of season one because between the auteurness of it and the Fellini homage, I feel <laughs> like he would just go nuts over it. I that would be great. I wonder. I really wonder. I would like to see how fun would it be to see uh, Finkelman on uh, Louis or something like that. Yeah, I'd love that. I would love to see them collaborate. It's never going to happen, but it yeah. would be <laughs> in, on, on Fantasy Island yeah. one day. Uh, yeah. Any uh, final thoughts? Uh, do what you can to hunt it down. I mean, I would say, say sample it on YouTube. And yeah, if the, if the whole first season's there, go for it. Yeah, for sure. and uh, do your best to find and support it. Yeah. Um, the only thing that we didn't really get much time to talk touch on that I'd like to say is I really, because we touched on the fact that he has different yes men in mm-hmm. each season. I, th- I really enjoyed that. I thought it was hilarious and made complete sense. You you know, jump in a couple years later and all those guys either got fired for something stupid or got fed up and quit. Yeah. <laughs> well, the whole season Except for one, the, there's the one woman who's yeah, still on the show. but other the, the one smart woman yeah. <laughs> who, who can never get, you know, am I too smart? She tries to be, it's awful. Yeah, yeah. But, um, there's an episode, season one, after that Fellini episode, that final episode, the campaign, mm-hmm. which is just kind of another, like, out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Jim Walcott, the, the anchor, starts to run for, tries to run for uh, office, office yeah. in Ontario, and then there is campaign managers, and then... That's it's another one of those whims, like, I feel like political humor today. Yeah, that's, and I'll do a whole episode it. that's out of the newsroom, as if, they, as if they've left the newsroom, they don't work there anymore, they're doing this, and then season two starts and they're, they're back. No. Yeah. <laughs> Um, So, Jesse, where can our listeners find you? Uh, You can find me for Television Talk. It's at watchitpodcast.com. And if you go there, you can also find the Film But Not Forgotten uh, podcast I do about movies. And uh, on Twitter, uh, Lugashi Network, L-U-G-A-S-H-I Network, all one word. Cool. Excellent. Good times. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's a lot of fun. Um, So, yes, go check out Newsroom. If nothing else... Season one's on YouTube. Everybody should have... I mean, if they're listening to this, I assume they should have YouTube. Yes. Yeah. I don't know how... I mean... Well, I'm, you don't really have to have it. We all, we all, we all share the same to... system of tubes. Yeah. We assume you, you listen to, use the internet, and yeah. so from there, the internet has YouTube for you. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> um, but thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. anything that we're seeing is that something that you have trouble with in reality shows 
Um, I, I I don't spend too much time thinking about that in in reality shows. I I just assume that there's th- that you know, um, you know what? Actually, I totally tuned out because I wasn't really listening. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I don't watch this show. <laughs> Sorry, what was the question? The question was, do you have trouble when you're watching reality shows and the editing of a particular person?